executive director of the Massachusetts Coast Guard, welcoming you to the No Flood Newscast, the official podcast of the Massachusetts Coast Coalition, with host myself, Joe Rossi, and co-host and vice chair of the Massachusetts Coast Coalition, Tim Williams. Tim, welcome back to another No Flood newscast, and uh, I appreciate you jumping back on with us here in uh, this podcast where we're still a lot of us uh, in quarantine or at least limited in what we can do. And Tim, that has actually given us over the last few months, I think, even more opportunity for the podcast to really be heard and listened to by a whole new audience. Yeah, it's been great to have some of our guests on, and I'm excited about our, our next guest that uh, is coming on with us today. Yeah, and, and with that, uh, we're going to introduce right now today's guest, which is uh, Patty Templeton-Jones. Um, and while she is president of, of Right Flood, uh, Patty is also, I, I uh, would see her as kind of uh, the flood queen when it comes to flood insurance and the right your own industry and a bunch of other places and you know tim that seems to be one of the uh themes with our podcast is our guests are multi-dimensional when it comes to flood which i think makes them uh really interesting to talk to so with with that patty uh welcome to the no flood newscast Thank you very much, Tim. I, that was a, a very glowing, uh, I mean, it's hard to live up to that introduction. <laughs> truly, truly in our organization, our flood queen is Patty Latshaw. She's a, our miracle worker. Uh, I just have the honor of, of working with her. I, I wanted to work with her for many, many years and finally stole her away a few years ago. So we're very blessed to have her on board. Well, you know, that's that's interesting because on, on an unrelated topic, we will definitely be pinging her as one of our uh, podcast guests in the future. Um, as we're talking today uh, about the flood industry, the really interesting perspective that you bring to the table, Patty, is the perspective of the right your own industry. Something that we have no one, no, we haven't had anybody on the podcast that has yet talked about that industry uh, and its its impacts. Which, which really, if you think about it, and Tim and I, as agents in our professional career, interact with the right your own industry on a daily basis. So. Why don't you talk a little bit about and giving our guests a background on what the right your own industry is and how that impacts people in their daily lives? Sure, Tim, I'd be glad, Tim and Joe, I'd be happy to. You know, the right your own program has been around um, since 1983, and it has served a purpose enduring, I guess, really and truly, you know, after Hurricane Betsy, that's, you guys are way too young to remember that. <laughs> uh, but it came to a period that it was obvious that the industry was not ready or could not step up to handle the catastrophic risk of flood insurance. Um, so this private-public pu partnership became um, inter-creation. Inter Omaha Property Casualty was the first carrier to get into the program. Bankers was the second. <clears throat> and Wright National Flood Insurance Company is actually uh, a combination of the flood insurance business from Omaha and bankers. So we have a long uh, history from the beginning of the program from its inception. Um, it has been, I think we'll see that we've seen, you know, private companies, you know, 
putting their toe in and starting to write some, some fund insurance. Because of technology, I believe that there, you know, we will see some more of that. However, you know, to think that the write your own program or the flood insurance program is gonna go away, I think is, a, is very false. Um, we've heard some people say that, um, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, we had one just the other day, I'll use this as an example. Um, it was a condominium, um, the private marketplace. Uh, you know, it, unfortunately, an agent had misquoted it with a, another write your own. Um, and we looked at it, the premium went, let's just say more than 5,000% up. Um, and it was, it was, the agent was, the agent, the agent was taking it, was, was challenged with this. We tried to go in the private market, private market didn't, wouldn't look at it, would not look at it. It wasn't a bad risk. It really wasn't. Um, yeah, I think actually the FEMA had a better idea about the risk. Um, so we were able to work with FEMA, get special rates. And, and, and solve a problem for the insured. So there's an examples that it may not be a bad risk, it may not be something that is an appetite for the private market. So there is absolutely room for both to be in here. And I think it will continue. That's a really, that's really interesting. I know Tim and I have had discussions with both guests on this podcast and with ourselves and, and, and people that we interact with about exactly that issue, because there is a lot of um, challenge right now between um, uh, in, in the, in the flood marketplace. And that's, a, and that's at all levels. And so when we start to hear, and, and I think what people forget, and, and we live it, uh, all of us do in our everyday lives, which is the NFIP is so much more than just the insurance component. Yes. And, and that's what really helps, uh, kind of dispel this idea when you really start to look at all of the legs to that stool, um, that there is going to be a place, not just for the insurance, for the insurance through the NFIP, but that's because, uh, it's so much more than that. Absolutely. And when you look at all the, the things that NFIP does, you know, whether it's mitigation or FEMA does it, whether it's mitigation or it's mapping. Um, again, these aren't exact science, you know, and we're starting to see, and I like to equate that we're seeing a lot of modeling coming out now. Um, but modeling uh, of the flood, flood line of business is in its infancy. Um, I have equated that is looking to what we did wind modeling 10, 15 years ago. That's where we're just beginning with flood insurance. Um, as we have more events, which we don't like to hear about, but as we have more events and we have um, more information, those models will get better. Uh, but they're not infallible. You know, science is not infallible. So we have to, you know, again, it goes back to there's, there's a place for the NFIP and the private marketplace. And the, from this NFIP standpoint, um, it has not been a market that has grown. Um, it's pretty stagnant, has been over the years, because quite frankly, people just don't think they're at risk. Um, they don't realize that if it rains, it can flood. The vast majority of claims that we see are not you know, from massive storms. They're not from hurricanes. They're everyday rain, just a torrential rain in, in an area. Um, and, and it can cause flooding, especially in areas that are drier or, or you know, whether it's Midwest, the, the Northeast, the, the West, the South, you know, flooding can occur anywhere and people need to be protected. And I think it's all of our jobs to continue to educate property owners, not just because the bank requires me to have flood insurance, but educate the, the property owners. I live in an exo. I am 63 feet above sea level. You know what? I have a flood policy. Always will have. You know, um, now from my standpoint, I carry a private insurance policy. Why? Because I can get more coverage. Is it more expensive than the NFIP? Absolutely. But I'm making an informed decision. 
So those are the things that I think we as, as insurance professionals have to continue working with our clients to show them what the risk is. It's, no, it's, not gonna, it's not an easy task. It really isn't. Patty, for our listeners out there that are these stakeholders out there, when you see these claims events, you know, I know you have your insured policyholders that are getting paid out. How many of them are not insured that are out of that special flood hazard area in that X zone? You're saying you know, we're seeing these torrential rainstorms that are coming more inland and they're not just the coastal things that everyone thinks about, you know, when they think about flood, you know, what are you seeing out there? You know, and and I I hate to go back to this one because it was Harvey. uh, But when you look at Harvey, uh, that was a, a, the the issue was, it wasn't a surge. It was not a surge. It was rain. It was rain. But, and and there's been some estimates, 80% of the properties that were flooded were were not in a special hazard area. Um, And, and let's look at, I think, I think that is a good example to start, you know, where we're looking at where it can flood. The biggest challenge with flooding events is there's, where does the water run off to? Anytime that you have, uh, you, you have ongoing construction, you have ongoing home building, any place you take grass and you put concrete, it has to go somewhere. And, you know, we're looking at the map, the maps are, you know, are absolutely essential, but there's some maps because of funding, you know, can't always be updated on a regular basis. And they're looking, you know, they're not looking into the future, they're looking in the past. So, right. you know, we need to be able to have tools available to us as, as policyholders, as, as property owners to understand, okay, this may be my risk today, but what is my risk gonna be next, next year, 20 years, 50 years from now? Yeah, it's such a great point. And, you know, I think some of the urban development, you know, they're not equipped to handle the the amount of rainfall, whether it be four or five inches in, a, in an hour, right. never mind a hundred inches, which was, was Harvey, you know, and what can time. happen in some of those places, you know. So. It can happen anywhere. And and typically right. with the ones that we're seeing, you know, the, the one-offs that you don't hear about, um, it was a, a one-day flood event. Uh, and just recently there was one um, a couple weeks ago in St. Charles Parish uh, in Louisiana. It was just a, a torrential rain and it was one area, an isolated area that was flooded because it, that's where the rain was. Yeah. But that can, again, you can say that's that's coastal. Yes, it's coastal. When you look at St. Charles Parish, you're looking at 60, 70 miles inland. So yeah, again, these, if it rains, it can flood. And when you look at the average cost, you know, of a, of a, of a risk policy for the insured, I mean, People would never, ever dream of not having homeowners on their, on their property, but they'll bypass that flood all the time because the banks don't require it, um, you know, and, and I understand why the banks don't. It's not required. It's not legal. They, they, they're, they're putting at a, at a disadvantage, you know, if they require it. Um, but so we've got to get that property owner educated to their risk. You know, that's that's a great that's that's really interesting. And, and I, I don't know, Tim, if you got the same story. I don't think you did a couple a couple weeks ago, um, at my property here, we had a storm park over us, and in, in 45 minutes, we got three inches of rain. You know, and when that happened, the driveway, which I have a dirt driveway, it washed out, and you know, you have the rain, the water in the driveway, and I have a drainage system I put in, and that failed, so I had the driveway was all had water in it, and now while it didn't affect the structure of the building, it highlights the fact that it really could happen, like you said, Patty, it literally could happen anywhere where you have these storms that just stop moving, that build up and rain falls down and you can have a flood. I mean, it, it could literally happen 
happen anywhere. And, and, and on that topic, you know, you mentioned about the perception of risk and, and, and the mapping. Um, you know, what, what is your take? I, I, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and I've gotten pelted by media requests the last couple of weeks about the First Street Foundation's um, data that came out about looking at flood risk in the future. And there's the models and technology, and, I got, and a lot of questions have been asked about the methodology around it. But in general, do you feel that data like that, whether it be the First Street or NOAA has storm surge tools, and there's all these different available information that look into the future or future data possibilities, what do you think about the, the availability of that information in terms of decision-making? I think it needs to be made available to the, and I think this has been the struggle. Um, models have been available to the industry, you know, for the last couple of years. And again, they're fine tuned and they're very technical um, and, and you have actuaries reviewing them. Um, so, but I think things like the first street and then others, others looking to do the same thing. I think getting this very, this information that is easy, bite-sized information that is easy to understand um, as to what you, your possible risk could be, um, putting it in layman's terms, is essential. I think that is what our, our, our property owners need to understand. Um, you know, I, I go back to my own property because I, I had my property run through First Street just to take a look at. Uh, and yeah, I'm a, I'm a, my risk score is one. Well, it kind of equates with, you know, what I'm looking at too. Now, bear in mind, I'm only a mile, maybe a mile from, from the Gulf but I have the elevation, you know, and, and my house is on a stem wall, you know, so I have my house is even above that, um, you know, so could there be surge? Yes, but you know, it's, again, you have to look at each situation. And then you look at other properties that may be viewed as an X zone and you run it through there and it's, uh, you know, and you're having a risk score of six or seven. So, you know, again, it, it's, it's another tool. It is not the be all end all, and the, but you know what, if we ever start turning tools down to look at what our risk are, that we're, in we're, having, we're gonna have an issue. You know, except any tool that you can to make an informed decision. Mm. I kind of equate it to maybe like a protection class from the fire, fire sure, side. Sure. Yeah, like an ISO protection class. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so on that, you know, one of the things I wanna make sure that's highlighted here when we get your perspective on this is Right Flood, as a right your own, or right flood, I believe, remains the largest right your own in the industry. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. A little over seven hundred million. Oh wow. Okay. So, so when we're talking about you know looking at national flood insurance program and, and kind of understanding what's going on out there, what are some? Are there anything um, other than you know some of the other risk issues that you see out there from an industry perspective? Are there any other like uh, statistical issues that you see that the NFIP is grappling with um, that can be seen through the way that Wright does business? You know, I look at what, what NFIP is doing with risk range 2.0 as an example. Yep. Um, you know, they're, uh, they're taking a lot of this technology. Uh, they're using actuarial firms. Um, they're trying to simplify the process, which I think is important um, because the, there's a lot of people, a lot of insurance agents that let's quite frankly, will step away from flood insurance because it's so complicated. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, with this risk range 2.0, it has been delayed. Um, you know, and hopefully we'll be able to get over the goal line. Um, it will enable property owners to better understand their risk as well. Um, and I know there's been some, some concerns and we've, I've heard from Congress that premiums will go up, you know, sky high, we'll have another BW12. Uh, there are caps in place. Um, 
but I do understand. I appreciate the fact that you know a property owner that has been been having you know you know not thinking they're at risk, and all of a sudden you know their their premiums are going you know higher and higher and higher. What's it doing doing to their property? So we all have to be very cognizant of that, and it's it's not an easy it's not an easy task for FEMA nor Congress, honestly. Mm. Yeah, and that that was that was kind of what I I was getting at was you know your perspective because you have so much flood premium in place you know you're in a position to really understand impacts on 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 the industry when things like that um, are implemented um, and you know on on the risk rating 2.0 piece are there any other you know risk rating 2.0 with with I think Tim every single podcast almost has <laughs> has had a different perspective on on risk rating 2.0 which I think is great because the the idea is is that we're looking to get an idea of what people think the future of flood insurance yeah. looks like and that's a really important piece to have um, what other things in the future um, do you see happening with the National Flood Insurance Program that uh, may impact people on a daily basis other than maybe risk rating 2.0? Well, you know, we, we, we can't always predict what Congress is going to do. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I say that tongue in cheek, but I will say, you know, over the years, I have spent many, many hours on the Hill. Um, the one thing that I, I'm, I'm confident, should I say that? I don't know. Uh, I, I think I'm confident in saying is Congress recognizes the absolute importance of the flood program. Uh, a good portion of the uh, members understand the importance of the right, the, the role that the right your own has in this. Um, it's an ongoing education to them, uh, especially as members change. Um, but I, I think the one thing I don't think we'll, we'll encounter, and I say this tongue in cheek, um, is lapses. I think they're finally realizing that the impact of when we lapse the program and people, what can occur when it happens. Um, so I think we, we've had a lot of kick the can down the road, um, but the program has remained intact. Um, hopefully there will be some improvements, whether well that will be through FEMA and, and some changes that they can do that are they're allowed to do you know, within their, their guidelines. Um, and then FEMA, there's and changes that possibly Congress could do. Um, I think the one thing that Congress, uh, from my standpoint, that I'd like to see Congress change is the ability of that property owner, if they leave to go to the private marketplace, to be able to come back without a penalty. Um, I think that is, of all the legislation, that to me, in my mind, is the most crucial. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, Tim, what's your thoughts on that? Because we're, you know, we're in, in our practice as, a, as agents, we're kind of interacting with both write your own private person buying the policy realtor lender you know all those different pieces come right to and and through the coastal coalition we're dealing with people through whether it be a map change or a you know they're they're trying to sell their house they don't understand the different pieces that go on there and really the the critical piece that circulates no matter what stakeholder tim and i are talking to is this issue around what happens when i leave what are the different elements that happen if you know what if i leave and come back or or what we've actually, and, and I know Tim and I have, have put our own best practices in place to avoid this, but we've also heard of companies or agencies moving all their book to a private company without the consideration of what those penalties might Crazy. be. Um, maybe not larger agencies, but you know, maybe the ones that don't understand simply because, and Patty, you hit on it earlier, there's, it's complicated and these rules and penalties, you've got to understand. I mean, we've all seen the, the pre-firm 
chart that shows when you lose your pre-firm eligibility and it's about 20 lines long and and it's it's you know gonna follow the spreadsheet over so tim what's your you know what's your thought on you know when and, and give some perspective maybe you know from your perspective on seeing when people are struggling with making those decisions yeah it's a, it's i think it's there's no right answer. i mean there's there's obviously right answers but there are some cases where you know to me that you get these secondary homes that are getting croaked or, you know, the businesses are getting croaked with these 25% rate increases. The premiums are so exorbitant. They can't survive with what the, with the, with the premiums are. So some cases they have to do it. And there are other cases, like you said, Joe, where I think if they did move they, and they are getting that penalty there, they shouldn't be moving. You know, they should stay with the NFIP because they're grandfathered, because they're pre-firm, whatever, you know, they're going to lose that status, but you're absolutely right, Patty. There should be something where they can come back without having that penalty, and they still have that coverage there. I think that would make the program so much easier to, to, to handle. Well, and, and, and we're providing what it needs to be done. The property needs to be covered, right? You know, some way, somehow. Why do we penalize someone for doing the proper thing? And that's right. how I, I view it. They're 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 fiscal they're being fiscal fiscally responsible by providing insurance on their property. And you know, I think that I think the one thing that that really came to light with me is let's just say you move your your property, move a move a, a property um, to a um, to a private market. What's not just if if you know we, we were telling agents for the longest time, look, don't move a pre-firm, you could have issues later on, but let's look at even map changes. You move it, you have a post firm and you have a map change. I mean there's there all the nuances that are still coming right. about right now, you know, it, as an agent, my gosh, how confusing is that? Um, I, I, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to be an agency right now. I'll be honest with you because it is, it is challenging and keeping it. And I, I try to tell her, you know, we have a large staff here and I try to teach our staff here, you know, the only, the only thing we do here at Wright is flood insurance. Uh, we don't do any other lines of business. We don't do homeowners. We don't do auto. And I always tell our tell our, um, our, our teammates that you know so much about flood insurance. You, your 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 knowledge is is vast, but in all your business, one hundred percent flood. However, our agents they're lucky if two percent of their business is flood, and they're running other lines of business, and they're running other lines of business. Oh, by the way, that makes sense. You know, it's the it's a property. It's a property. It's a property. You can look at that. Um, so, you know, be patient, understand that what you're trying to teach this agent isn't normal insurance. Uh, and, and that takes its own, it's on its own challenges. That, I can get my box on this because this just, it's something that we work with our teammates all the time about how it, cause we feel it's that, that important. Well, well, and, and it's really great because I think what, what we're, um, you're, that perspective is really interesting because Tim and I, uh, we actually, it's interesting because we look at flood very similarly in terms of we, whether it be the coalition or in our daily practices or in our daily life when we're, you know, interacting with the CR, you know, Tim and I uh, help with local CRS, uh, community rating system uh, programs and all these different things, but when you're when you actually get down to it, there's five million NFIP flood policies, and the average agent is writing ten, you know, yeah. maybe twenty flood policies, and 
you know, and, and we're all we're all talking and looking at, you know, a pool of, of five million flood policies and agents that are not solely focused on just that. So it's really important to understand, you know, take it in context like you have and said, look, you know, even though this is something that we're all super focused on every day, not a lot of people uh, think about it more than maybe when a policy comes to their desk and they're struggling and it's an $8,000 premium and the insurance about to leave them for an agency that has options because they can't be there anymore. Um, yeah. yeah, Tim. No, I was just saying like the other thing I wanted to ask Patty about, it's, it's kind of this, I can't tell you, Joe probably sees it all the time too. As a consumer or a stakeholder out there, I find myself explaining all the time, write your owns and how they're all part of the NFIP and they all should have the same rate. I mean, the consumer has no idea no. that, you know, a write your own, you know, or a write national or whoever. Yeah. How do we get that message across to those consumers that, you know, the NFIP is here and, you know, you're competing against other carriers and write your owns out there. And they, they always think they're going to get a different rate unless it's private, you know, and it's a conversation that we're constantly having. Tim, you hit the nail on the head. We see it all the time. And, and typically, it takes a lot of patience. Um, you know, and, and, it's a lot, and it's a lot of digging, because it could be something as simple as if the information that's provided. Uh, you're right. If all the information is the same, the premiums are the, are the same. We can't, we can't change the premium. I can't waive premiums. I can't waive increases, you know, like I could if I was a private carrier. Um, I have to follow the guidance of FEMA and NFIP. Right. They set the rates, they set the rules, they tell us what to do. When it comes to a claim, even, same thing. You know, I can't adjudicate that claim outside of anything of the guidelines that, that they give us. Now, can I go to FEMA on behalf of that insurer, whether it's the rating like we did on that one? Yeah, right. Claim? Absolutely. But the rates, the rules, the guidelines are all the same. So if you're shopping for price, you're wasting your time. That's a really good perspective. And, and on, that, on that perspective, we've heard a lot from FEMA leadership over the last 10 years or so on the evolution of the consumer experience when it comes to claims, policies, all the different things that um, have, have evolved. Um, how has the consumer experience been from your end of FEMA? How has that interaction either gotten better or stayed the same over the last several years with leadership changes and administrative changes? Um, you know, I, I've been in this uh, flood insurance world. I entered, in, I entered into flood insurance in 1993, been here a long time. Um, and the, there's been ups and downs with relationships. Um, I can honestly say in the, the past, gosh, you know, I guess after Sandy um, and, and some of the changes that were made after that um, and the, the, inter, the, the, the newer people at FEMA, you know, I had great uh, respect for people that were are no longer there; they have retired. But you know, having bringing some new blood in has been very, you know, they've been willing to listen and understand about the insurance side of it and truly make the difference in that consumer experience. Um, you know, they're willing to. I mean, who who would have thought that FEMA would have ever gone to virtual adjusting? Really? Yeah. You know, but they were able to. Who would have thought that they were going to, we would ever be looking at a consideration of possibly not use, utilizing an EC. And I do believe some of this is being driven by some of the newer folks, you know, saying why. 
Um, we had FEMA, one thing that FEMA did a few years back, I wanna say it was 2015, um, and we participated in it, was a loan executive program. Um, we allowed one of our teammates, um, as USAA did as well, um, to, to live in DC and work for FEMA for, for a year. Um, and they, these two individuals were able to bring to FEMA the insurance side of it. This is how insurance works. Um, and it was supported from David Marstead down. Um, and it was, it was a very eye-opening. Um, so those relationships were very solid and they've continued. So it, it allows that write your own and FEMA um, connection so that when decisions are made, they're not done in a vacuum. Are there hiccups? Absolutely. What organization doesn't have hiccups? Um, you know, but it, it definitely has, you know, definitely improved the, the relationship and, and the, how things were done. Wow. Wow. And, and, and with that type of, I, I see that as like team building across the industry, right, as those types of things are done. Um, do you see that continuing to happen in the future? And maybe not in that way, but in terms of, you know, building that team through the risk rating 2.0 changes and through legislative changes. And, you know, we know FEMA's up on the hill. You said you're up on the hill all the time. You know, does that continue to grow so that when we go and make these, you know, just and have these discussions with Congress that the industry is speaking with, with a voice and, and it's not kind of these segmented sections of, of different places. Yeah, I, I do. I do believe that Joe. I mean, I, I've seen it in the last few years, uh, four or five years now, I guess, um, where before you used to have the insurance companies speaking with the right Jones, you'd have the agents group speaking, you'd have the zone determination companies speaking, um, you know, all, all these different, the realtors, the lenders. Um, the last few years, there has been a lot of cohesiveness, um, the various trades reaching out to each other and having a single voice. Um, does it require uh, negotiation? Absolutely. But isn't that what should be happening in Congress? Um, should be, should be. Um, so I, I think, I think, that's a path we will continue. Um, I don't see a change in that. And I think it's like, that's a good change for us yeah. because being able to do that and be able to have, you know, if you're speaking with one voice on to, to the Hill, they, they'll understand and, and, and quite frankly, probably have a little bit more belief in what you're saying to them. We, it, not every point will we always agree on whether it's the, the various trades, but we can get it down to a point where it's beneficial to everyone. At the end of the day, beneficial to the property owner, and that's that's the key. So, Patty, with the long-term reauthorization, you mentioned that the, the portability was the biggest piece. What's what's the other? If you can change one more thing, what would be the top of the list of things that you'd want to see that have to be on the reauthorization? Leave the right your own compensation alone. Um, you know, as a company, you know we have been to the hill. We have opened our books on our financials uh, to members to show them this is not uh, a win-win. This, this is not a windfall for the right chances. Um, you know, it's, we don't, the compensation that the right chances get and the agents get, again, this is a very complicated product. Um, and until that part becomes much more simplified, and that's gonna take a while, uh, we can't get efficiencies in it. 
any of the lines of business you can program. You can have you know things to make it easy to explain. So reducing compensation right now is not. And I think there's been some some information out there that the ride owners make all this all this money. Well, they started adding the claims fee in there with the the undrying fee or the processing fee, uh, and it made it look you know what it wasn't. Um, you have your claims fee that you get handled for handle. Somebody has to handle the claims, and the adjusters get paid for that. We have to be able to pay the adjusters. Um, that processing that policy is also at a cost. And that's where the agent has to be has to be adequately compensated for so that they, you know, so they can they they can take understand how what how that prop policy should be written, get the adequate education, and educate the general public on the risk of flood insurance. Well I, and, ahead, and I'm sorry, Joe. No, no, I was going to say, I think you're hitting on a lot of things that people, well, first off, let me go back and just say that there's been some very negative press about write your own compensation over the last, you know, 10 years or so, really since Hurricane Sandy is where a lot of it, at least from my perspective, started. Um, yep. And not a lot of, not, not a lot of um, really good data or info was, was rebutted to, to a lot of the, even though there is a lot of good data and info, you're talking about it right now. Um, what are, name, and you start, you just started doing this, name some of the, you know, top things that people might not understand that that funding goes to that you're really doing in terms of helping the consumer, because it's not just, you're not just making money off the policy, you're really doing things to help people be insured and help the policyholder. We not only, uh, we, you know, naturally our contracts with our agents, um, but we reach out to all aspects, whether it's realtors, we do, we do um, CE classes for realtors, we do CE classes for agents. Um, we have 16 marketing professionals uh, on the ground, uh, educating agents, insureds. Um, we have teammates that we're constantly um, have doing speaking engagements. Anytime that we can get out, I sit out there and if I hear somebody talking about flood insurance in the grocery store, I'm the first one to, to engage in that. Um, our whole, from our organization, you know, we're not in this to, as another line of business, we're in this to make it better. Our whole focus is flood insurance. So everything we do, everything with it's, it's technology, we're, we're utilizing new technology to, to make it better, make it easier, um, whether it's education, whether it's realtors, lenders, uh, whoever we're doing that. Uh, and then again, we have our original sales managers that are out there meeting with the agents all the time. Um, anytime we have an opportunity to to educate and speak, we do so. And that's that's not cheap. Um, I think my staff is probably you know the the most important part out there, and I have to make sure that they're educated as well. Uh, we have to make sure that we have adequate claims people on hand because let's face it, claims are not happening all the time. But I can't let the, the claim staff go if there's not an, when there's not an event. I have to keep on staff so, so that we're prepared when that event occurs. So there's a lot of pieces that, and when you look at, you know, I think the challenge has been the way in the past, the financials have been reported. Every, every right owner was maybe doing a little different. There's right owners that the vast majority of all right owners was a vendor. Uh, we don't, everything we do is we, it's done by right flood. Um, so vendors charges are different. Let's uh, not say one's right and one's wrong. It's, 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 it's a line of business. Um, so I think getting that, Understanding that true cost has been a little challenging for Congress, and that hence is why I opened our financials uh, to, to Congress to show them exactly where the dollars go. 
Um, you know, it's not something I, I share out publicly, but you know, we have one-on-one -on -one meetings with members and, and, and very, are very transparent with them. Wow. Well, it, it, it makes, I think it makes not just the stakeholder feel comfortable about you know, the fact that in what you just described, you know, that you're, you're using the, you're utilizing um, funding that you receive for things that mean more than an insurance company. I mean, the fact that when an agent goes online and, and has to quote a policy, that technology requires something. It, it, I mean, that has to mean it, you're getting a quote to an insured and that insured is purchasing the policy and that all requires money. I mean, that's just the, the bottom line. And that's where, you know, I think it is, it is so difficult when somebody hears, you know, oh, an insurance company's making money and, and it's like, you know, that can definitely, um, uh, you know, set the wrong tone and, until you really understand the pieces that you just reiterated about what that's actually being used for. Um, now, in, in one of the things too, that I uh, wanted to get your perspective on is, um, as, as right flood, uh, and as you continue to move forward, uh, in the industry, what are a couple things, if, if nothing was to change in the flood industry today, right? Risk rating 2.0 didn't happen. There was no long-term reauthorization and the current authorization remained the same. Um, how do you see, what are ways that we can currently improve the program in its current state? Do you have any, any pointers on what we might be able to do today? It, it has to be ongoing education. I know I sound like a broken record with that, um, but the more and more we, we, we as companies, agents, you know, we have to teach what the risk is, um, you know, and, you know, it, there, and you're right. You know, there's a possibility that things couldn't change. Um, you know, we've been hearing about, you know, since, since Katrina actually, that the importance of making some changes to this program. And we've had, you know, we've had, bits and pieces and, and we haven't totally gotten there with everything. Um, but, you know, I think things are, are what we're seeing coming out of FEMA. And, and it, in fact, that was a, a comment I made back to Congress recently, uh, well before the pandemic was, you know, FEMA is moving very rapidly now uh, with trying to improve this program. So I'd much rather let them do so than when you legislate. When you legislate, you can't necessarily undo things and there can be harm made. So fine, have connection with FEMA, make sure that they're moving forward things. And they are, you know, let them, give them a chance to do what they were they they need to do. Um, and I think that Congress would be pleasantly surprised when they see some of the things that FEMA is doing. Again, that communication. Um, you know, honestly, I think, you know, FEMA was the whipping dog for far too long of Congress. Um, and, and they need to listen to FEMA. FEMA has some, some good points and they're doing some good things. And, and let's, let's see what's going to happen. Let's not, make, let's not make a bigger mess out of things, which I think, you know, when we looked at what happened at BW12 and, and Maxine Waters did a fantastic job of working to undo that, um, you know, it was, it was challenging. Let's not do that again. Let's not have the unintended consequences. Well, we're getting, believe it or not, we are getting right down to the end here. This is bad. Big mouth, right? <laughs> uh, well, it just, these, that's how these go. It just feels like the, the half hour just slips right by so quickly. So I want to give Tim a chance to ask you a question. I've got one more, and then we'll give you a chance to talk a little bit about the one thing we want to make sure is give a little bit of background of yourself. You keep mentioning, you know, little bits and pieces, but a quick summary about how you got to where you are today. So, Tim, any final questions for Patty? 
Yeah, I, I, what racks in my brain, and I think I asked this on the last podcast, is the, is the kind of public-private partnership and, and getting the, the, the private sector and the NFIP to work more together. You know, one of the things that Joe and I struggle with is, you know, the, the reporting to the insurance commissioners. You know, how many private policies are out there? Are they being from going from, you know, the NFIP to private? Or where are they going? And then, you know, I see too many agents, you know, writing stuff that I'm like, gee, I think that property had a loss, but how am I going to know? You know, and that's, you know, the agents are stuck out here trying to find this data out there. It's, and it's not like the home insurance where there's a, or, you know, auto where you can pull up a record and see the clue report and ding, it's there. I just wanted your perspective on if you see that happening and if there's conversations happening. And, and, I'll, and I'll, add one, I'll add one thing to that while you're talking about it is what have, what impact to your book of business has private had, maybe not directly correlated, but has there been an increase or decrease over the last two to three years? Um, you know, I, I think with, without a doubt, we, we, there has to be more communication. I think, we, I think it's getting much better. I think there should be a quote unquote clue um, for flood insurance. Um, I, I know I, the one thing that private market was complaining about for, forever was that they didn't have the data. Um, you know, FEMA did release data, but they have, everybody has to recognize that as the data was collected over this many, many, many years, and up until recently, you know, there hasn't been system enhanced, major system enhancements to FEMA's. So, you know, data is only good as, as it goes in and then comes out. Right. Um, you know, you don't know when property, if there's a loss, when it's been mitigated necessarily, and then that changes hands. So there's, there, is, there is some need to have more partnership with that. And maybe those are things that, that can be looked at and be addressed. Um, because that will make the program better, make the product, whether it's private or, or public, a better product right. um, and, and ensure the people and the property owners much better. You know, as far as um, losing business, you know, to the private, yeah, I'm sure we have lost some, um, but we are kind of like a one-stop shop um, when I mentioned that we don't use um, vendors. Uh, we do everything ourselves. We also have... Uh, another division of ours also offers private flood. Um, we don't, but we keep those two houses totally separate. Um, they're not on the same phone system. They're not in the same, same location. Um, so if, if an insured, an agent wants to have a private, we can do a private as well. So I'm, you know, what I think is, not, it's not one take goes concerning. I'd like to see better at is we're seeing, we're not seeing number of policies grow. And, it, and having private in my mind isn't taking property out of the NFIP. You know, sure, there are other companies that probably want to do that, probably so, but that's not what the intent should be. The intent should be is getting more people covered by flood insurance, regardless whether it's private or NFIP. Um, so, and I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing the, the massive growth in the number of policies. And I think you start looking at the various states that the reporting, how it's reported is, is, is challenging as well. I think NEIC is doing uh, a, so a quite a bit of work now to try to improve that. So I think we'll, I think we'll see improvements in that. Good. Very cool. Well, Tim actually took my last question. So very <laughs> happy to ask my last one. So I appreciate that, Tim. Thank you. And I only wanted to throw that little bit in at the yeah. end because that was going to be part of 
my last question. So with that, Penny, why don't you just very quickly give our listeners kind of a quick roadmap on, you know, where you started, how you got into the industry and how you made it to where you are today. Well, you know, I, I think like a lot of people in the industry, I had no plans of going into insurance. I was in college um, and working part-time at St. Paul. Um, and all of a sudden, most of my father's chagrin, uh, I decided I liked insurance. Um, and I started out, believe it or not, as a med mal uh, underwriter. Uh, farthest thing from flood insurance you ever imagine. Um, then I went to the brokerage side, uh, worked for Crum and Forrester in the brokerage division on large commercial properties. I was an underwriter for that for many, many years. And, that, and property has always been my forte. Uh, I'm not a casualty or a liability person. It's just, it, I like to know when that loss is. Uh, over and done with. Yeah. Um, you know, and ironically, I was hired by bankers in 1993 because they wanted to introduce commercial lines to, to Louisiana, where I lived at the time. So I was doing that. Uh, I've worked in the marketing division. Um, I've bought, been in operations. I've been in claims. So I've kind of done the gambit. And I've been with this organization, whether it's right, it was previously, I was with bankers. That's where I started out at in 1993. So I've been here throughout all the various changes and have just had such a passion for it that I've continued to move up in the organization and have an opportunity to, to share, share what I am passionate about. Wow, that's really cool. And, uh, and I think that, that type of, uh, and I mentioned it when we started and I, I mentioned it again, that type of uh, you know, broad understanding of the program seems to be consistent with all the guests that we have on the program, which is they you know, have, have been able to go through different parts and really understand because you don't understand flood unless you know all the different parts of it and how they interact with each other. Um, and that's the perspective that you, you definitely have. Um, so with that, Patty, thanks so much for being on the No Flood Newscast. You've given our listeners a really great perspective from the Right Your Own industry. We've talked about a lot of great stuff, and I think it will be great um, as the NFIP continues to evolve, uh, whether that's quickly or whether it's not, that we um, definitely have you on again at some point in the future and, you know, talk about, you know, what may have happened in the industry. And, you know, Tim and I are always... Um, you know, keeping our pulse on, you know, what's going on um, from changes and uh, depending on future, you know, it's funny, some of our podcast guests in the past have made us want to have past guests come on again in the future based on what they bring up. So we'll definitely have to do that again. Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. And I can, I could told you before though, you know, wait until, if you, if you liked me, wait until you talk to Patty Lashaw. Yeah. <laughs> we'll certainly be reaching out to Patty because that is definitely somebody on our list. But just make sure when you, you introduce her, make sure you introduce her as the evil M. It's an inside joke that she'll tell you. Okay. <laughs> we will do that. Girl. Oh, thank you, Patty, so much. Thank you, Patty. Take care, guys. Thank you much. Appreciate it. Thanks. Bye.